And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Now, today's episode is huge. It's gigantic. It's possibly life-altering. We're going to tackle the age-old question, dolls versus teddy bears. Now, this is a query that has been posed to the human race since the beginning of time, and I'm promising you today we're going to come to a definitive answer, an acceptable conclusion. That's my guarantee, my commitment to excellence to you, the listener. Dolls versus teddy bears. Let's talk about dolls first. My sister, my childhood nemesis, had a Cabbage Patch doll. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Cabbage Patch dolls, these are a cloth body but an adorable little head that was made out of concrete covered in plastic. Now my sister, mostly to get back at me and also because she was a little kid, hyperactive kid I should say, would swing this thing by its feet, whipping around that doll head of destruction through the air. And God help you if you got struck with that thing because you'd be out for hours, possibly days. I heard even weeks, no one knew what was going to happen to you. Very dangerous toy. I think they pulled it off the market for that particular reason. But these things were destructive. Now let's talk about Team Teddy Bear. That's the team I'm on. Now why am I on that team? I'm going to tell you why. Because growing up, I had a little teddy bear of my own. It was a white little bear that I called Snuggle Bear. I'm going to tell you why I called him Snuggle Bear. It's going to blow you away. There was a very popular commercial on at the time for Snuggle Fabric Softener. My bear looked just like that bear. So I thought, hey, came up with the original idea to call him Snuggle Bear. I was very inventive uh, as, as a child, as you can see. So I had Snuggle Bear. And Snuggle Bear was with me for my entire childhood, and I still have Snuggle Bear. Now, he currently resides in an undisclosed location, but I keep him in museum-quality condition because I love nostalgia, I love my childhood, and I love Snuggle Bear. So, we're going to tackle this, this problem, this question, and we're going to do it with an expert. Guess which expert we have on the program today? I'm going to tell you, it's Susan Quinlan of the Doll and Teddy Bear Museum up in Santa Barbara, California. Susan, first of all, I want to welcome you to the program today. This is an absolute honor. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for doing this. I feel honored myself. Now, I can understand that completely. So now we are talking about you have the largest lo- research library of its kind in the United States. Is that correct? That's right. I want to make sure I get my metrics right because I love the best t- number one and you're up there. That's why you're here. Well, that's why you've been doing this forever. So now let's talk about what exactly is the specialty of your incredible doll museum. Uh, the museum itself is um, more of the recent dolls. And also, I had been to many museums, doll museums, in the past. And something I never saw was a um, tribute to the state where they were located. I thought one of the things I really wanted to do was to show California's place in the doll world and in the teddy bear world. 
Also, I was a librarian for 35 years, and so I was very much into the, the books about dolls and bears with characters. So that was a second gallery. And then the third gallery was just everything else that I couldn't resist and uh, tried to organize into some kind of um, process or into uh, a logical arrangement. Well, logical arrangements are very important, I think. And I think your history as a librarian probably helped with that, did it not? It certainly did. I learned to classify and put things in orders from the time I was very young, yes. What was your favorite system? I'm personally a fan of Dewey Decimal. Uh, you know, I think Dewey really nailed it. What was your favorite? Well, I had to work with both, so I didn't really have a favorite. I just utilized both because I was in the children's section for a while where we still used the Dewey Decimal, and then for the rest of it, I was in a university library, so we used the uh, Library of Congress system. So. I just sort of went with both of them. You have to pick a favorite. You had to pick a favorite. Gun to your head. I need an answer. Pick a side right. where it I really do like Dewey Decimal because it's much simpler. It is. For simple-minded people like me. Or me. Works over, well, not you know so much, but definitely for me. I loved it. I love children's books. Big fan of Dewey. All right, let's move on to the important stuff here. So was it your love of, of books in the library that got you into the book collection? Because this is a top-notch. I mean, besides the fact that it's a top-notch doll museum. Your book collection is world-ranked, right? So, I mean, is that what kind of got you so, into it? How did that start? Um, well, first I was starting with the dolls. I was uh, collecting dolls and selling them at doll shows. And one day I won a little uh, raffle, and I got four books that were about dolls. And it suddenly struck me, I'm a librarian. Why don't I collect the books that have dolls? There can't be that many of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I started collecting a little bit, and I began to add and add. And then one day I saw a bibliography of doll books, and I thought, now I'll know how many there are. And she had something like 978 books or something in this bibliography. I thought, well, I can still cope with that. And then I thought, well, I'll see how many Raggedy Ann doll books there are. And I looked it up, and there weren't any listed. And I said, well, what about Barbie books? And I looked, and they weren't listed, and I thought, I think there's going to be more than 978 books in my collection. <laughs> so today I have 12,000 books. 12,000? And that covers dolls, doll houses, and teddy bears as well. So all three in that category. Well, we're going to get back to some of this stuff, but this is a great segue because you yourself, you're not only a librarian, not only do you put books back in order in their proper place, <laughs> but you also are a part of the pro You are a, an author. Um, and you created the reference guide to everything you're just saying. Um, it is called the Doll, uh, Art Dolls, Rich Traditions, New Ideas. Is that correct? Well, I didn't, I didn't write that. The museum helped to publish it. So we're Wait, a co-publisher. You know what? I'm looking at my notes incorrectly. But you did write the re reference guide to research on doll yes. houses and miniatures. Yes, that was the first uh, item I came out with, and that has about uh, 1,200 entries for doll houses and related works, both fiction and nonfiction. I'm now working on my teddy bear one, which has more like 3,500 entries. And that's getting close to being done. And then I will do the doll one, which is more like 7,000, 8,000 entries. Holy cow. Well, so, so you, I may have gotten it wrong, but you, you're an author and you're also the executive producer behind another very important book. So you kind of do both. You financially funded one very important doll book and you wrote your own doll book, and it's going to be a series of doll books. Yes. Because teddy bears are essentially a subgenre of dolls anyway, right? I mean, I think so. I think they very go together very well. Um, I think they go together well 
as well. Now let's talk about how you got into this. You've been doing collecting dolls for, for how long? I started the real collecting in 1979. A friend of mine who started with me at that time remembered the date. I never would have myself. What was the date? 1979. Oh, I thought you meant like the day and the hour. Oh, like, no, no, like, no. I don't no, know how no. specific they got. No, no, no. But he remembered the year. <laughs> so how, what, what drew you to dolls? Why, why dolls? Well, I'd always enjoyed them as a child, but uh, they weren't really a part of my life. But then when I met this friend and he was collecting them and he got me interested more and more in them. And then I began to expand from there. And he and I started a business together uh, making doll clothes, which failed miserably. But we began <laughs> to put little things out that we picked up in garage sales and so on. And that sold like hotcakes. So we figured we were at the wrong end of this and flipped over to selling dolls. And then I just continued. I'd sell inexpensive dolls and save the money and use that to buy an expensive doll that I didn't have. And it just grew from there. So were you like um, using it as a business where you would buy and sell dolls at a profit? Like you knew that you got, oh, this doll, I can sell this to this sucker over here for 10 times what I'm buying it for. Well, not quite. Did you call them suckers? No, no, no. Um, I, I go to garage sales. San Francisco had incredible garage sales and also thrift stores and mm -hmm. uh, find them. And then fix them up often, fix their hair, redress them, do things like that, and sure. then sell them for a modest profit. I'm, I'm not trying to make the world here. <laughs> but uh, it, it was enough that pretty soon I was able to buy and sell and uh, increase my collection slowly that way. That's pretty incredible. So you'd siphon off the good stuff and then sell whatever you could sell, but That's keep right. like the very important pieces. That's right. Uh, so now tell me about this doll, the doll clothes making business. Is that uh, I don't want to, you know, focus on utter failures, but I'm very interested <laughs> in how, um, like, how did how did the idea come in? Because doll fashion is very popular. Well, we had some dolls. They were called Tony dolls, and a lot of the ones we had didn't have any clothes. So my friend. So it's for a particular doll because I mean, obviously, sizes started, are very yeah. different. It was for a particular doll. Okay. And uh, so we had some of the original clothes, and we said this might be a place to start. Now, I cannot sew. I am just absolutely no good at sewing, but he was wonderful. So I provided the fabrics, and we made up patterns for these mm -hmm. doll dresses, and we took them to the shows. And as I say, they didn't sell very well, but uh, the stuff from under our table that we picked up at the garage sales and so on just went out the door quickly. So that's when we reversed and went into the doll selling business. Well, so, you know, a lot of celebrities nowadays, you know, they've got, you know, cologne lines, they've got sunglasses, and all of them are doing clothing lines. So now that you've got, you know, you've got some credibility in the doll world, have you thought about going back to a clothing line? No, because nowadays most of the dolls come with their clothing. This was, um, this was back in the 70s, 60s we were just coming out of the war and in those days most of the dolls had clothes made by parents and by family members and then Barbie and others began to come out with clothing lines made specifically for them and now that's what most people do and with eBay it's easier to find old older clothing pieces that people might want to put on an original doll they can go and find an original dress now so it, I don't think it would be something I'd want to go into. And besides which, as I said, I was not the one who could sew. Right. So I don't think I'd want to go into that. I'm happier doing what I'm doing. Okay. 
Um, now, what is it about particular dolls that catch your eye? Like, what is the thing that you really enjoy? Well, to begin with, or now? Uh, right now, let's go with now. Like okay. what, what, what? What? Like now, as the you know, as the expert, the person that people go to, the definitive answer. What do you like? I like the current artist dolls and artist bears, and I think the reason is because first of all, they're using very unusual materials, which commercial people often can't use. You know, they they can put media together, various kinds of things together, and come up with one of a kind and unusual pieces. Such as, like what kind of materials are we talking about? Well, um, one of my favorites is a felt a felt face that's been needle sculpted, for instance. Or is this the Don Quixote? Yes. The man uh -huh. La Mancha? Yeah. It's a great one. I'm gonna put a picture of that up. That yeah. was an incredible I know and, and uh, a commercial company just can't do that kind of thing. And I talked to some people who had dolls and bears that were taken on by commercial companies and they often had to make quite a few changes in order for it to be something that could be manufactured and, and not to be too too um, detailed and so on for manufacturing purposes. And so I love how they can take materials and do wonderful dolls out of simple things, even things like clay and just fabric and now it's poly polymer clays that they can do and they don't have to fire them in a kiln anymore and um, just uh, just simple things and they come up with such beautiful beautiful dolls i like the fact that they're usually one of a kind or very limited edition so i don't feel like if i'm going down the street i'm going to see a hundred of them everywhere i look i like the uniqueness of it and one of the things i really love about current dolls and bears is i get to know the person who made them and this is something that you can't get with antique dolls or with uh, commercial dolls very much. Um, and I can talk to these people. I can find out what inspired them to do what they did and to um, just, just know more about the whole process that they've gone through. And I really enjoy that. So you, like, you enjoy kind of getting into the artist's mind and figuring out how they made, how they're advancing the art. Yes, that and... Uh, just why they did certain things or how they did it and uh, just everything you know you can you can go so many directions with with the people and they're such wonderful people I've made so many friends among the artists now that that uh, I I would really miss not knowing them they they're just wonderful wonderful people so that's kind of what you're into now so that's point B let's talk about point A what got you into what was your gateway doll um, Probably the Tony doll and some of the early um, Vogue Ginnies. Uh, my my uh, partner at the time, David, was into certain um, hard plastics and so on. And so because I didn't know very much at the time, I would learn from him. And we would collect things for a while and learn about them. And then we would go on to something else. And we started a doll club in San Francisco for a while and had meetings where we would have different dolls discussed and talked about and uh, learn about them so that, that slowly but surely it began to spread out and learn more and more about different kinds of dolls. So now let's talk about, that's a great segue into the history of dolls because dolls and teddy bears have a very long, not teddy bears, not so much, but dolls have a very long history going back almost to the, uh, to the onset of human history, because some would say that these are the first toys that ever existed. 
Um, so let's talk about a little bit about the history of dolls. What, what, what I mean, because it was like, you know, they, they were ritualistic first, right? So you could start out where people had them. They weren't playthings for a long period of well, time. Well, they were both, I think. I mean, they, they've, the uh, collection they had here in Santa Barbara for a while had some very early uh, dolls, but they were, they were some, some of them were playthings. I think Egyptians had play dolls, and uh, the Sumerians and um, early Greeks. I think it was a combination often. It's just like, I think today... If you study the Native American Kachinas, they were both a doll for the child and a religious uh, representation for the adults. So they were a combination. I think very often that was true in the past too. No, I definitely think so. But I mean, there were some cultures that would that would think that you know a lot of them were tied into um, rituals and religion, and some of them you know sympathetic magic was was very big. And so the dolls would represent a person or a thing, and then the magic done to that doll would transfer. That was kind of the belief at the time. So there were a lot of cultures who believed that you know dolls were too powerful magical items to have for children to have. Like they weren't responsible with that kind of thing. So there were you know it was kind of there were pockets of this, which is kind of interesting to think that you know dolls at one point were kind of taboo for children to use. Well, in some cases, and I feel sorry for those children. I think <laughs> I think they needed dolls to play with. Yeah, yeah, but it's sort of. Um, I guess even later on, there were some taboos. Although the children were allowed dolls, like the Amish wouldn't let them put faces on the dolls because they they didn't want you to um, worship a graven image kind of thing. So they always just had plain faces on them. So all through. Time, I think the children have had to sort of find ways to play with dolls and to use them. And uh, I mean, it's almost like a creepier way to do it. I mean, if there's no faces on the doll, that's kind of I don't kind of messes with your head. You know what I mean? You're used to seeing. But on the other hand, you could always create in your mind the face you want on the doll too. So it it could be a creative way to approach a doll in a way. And I find a lot of Native Americans today, even um, in the collection here, there's some that have no face it's just uh, plain fabric or whatever and mm-hmm. uh, let you decide what you would prefer to see there yourself <laughs> i guess that i guess that's one way to do it i don't know for me it just seems i guess I'm, I'm so used to seeing some kind of representation of a face that when you don't see a face i, I watch too many horror movies i guess <laughs> that's too much too many movies for me well, it's the other side of it is I get a lot of people that I talk to, and even one young man came in here, and they go around and they say, oh, it's so creepy. Look at all these dolls are looking at me. Oh, they're all staring at me. And so there are people who don't like to have the faces there, too, that yeah. they find that it's very scary for them, which I find hard to understand, but it, uh, it can oh, be uh, a problem. I, I totally agree. We're going to get into scary dolls later on, so we're going to come back to that. Oh, dear. Um, so be prepared. <laughs> I'm going to give you time to get prepared for it. What is the oldest doll you have in your collection? Like, how far does your personal collection date back? I'd say around 1810, 1825, somewhere in there. I, I really didn't go way back because Santa Barbara had an, a collection at the art museum that was very old, mm. and I was sort of counting on them to fill in the background for me, and I prefer the more recent dolls. So oh, I, I was thinking it would be a nice mix, but then they closed their collection down and sold it, so that sort of 
eliminated a lot of the older <laughs> dolls that I was hoping I could send people to look at. <laughs> the vacuum that you need to fill now. Oh, being well, I, I couldn't. I mean, the, the dolls they had were incredible bisque dolls and paper mache, and they had some old Egyptian dolls and old, old um, Babylonian dolls. I mean, they had a really incredible collection. But what I'm hoping is that the Clark estate here, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but when the woman died who owned the Clark estate, she's supposed to have a collection of dolls, and I'm hoping they may bring her collection here. Oh, wow. Because it would fill in, again, a lot of the background. So you, from 1825, what, so what kind of doll, and how do these things last for so long? I mean, that's, you know. Well, first of all, the, what, they're, what they're made of, if, if it's something that doesn't disintegrate. Now, one of the dolls that I think is my oldest is wood, and so it's been mm. well cared for, and it hasn't burned or whatever. Right. I mean, so many dolls, it depends on your owner, whether you were careful with them. I've got wax dolls, and so many of those dis- disappeared because... They would either crack or mm-hmm. they would melt in the sun or by the fireplace or whatever. So um, it's it would be the way that the person took care of the doll also that would be important. Now, because there's so many different materials that dolls were made of throughout the years, obviously people know plastic, wood, uh, porcelain was a big one. Um, but some of the interesting ones, you were telling me about a pop maker named Maria that was created out of clay. The face was created out of clay. So tell that story. That's a really interesting story. Oh, well, Maria was a very famous potter of the Indian uh, Indian potter of the Southwest. She made beautiful black pottery pots and was very famous. So the artist who made the doll I have went to her reservation and found the place where she used to get the clay for her pots and used that clay to make the face of the doll. Wow. And it's a very good likeness of the of Maria herself. So, yeah, I really love that kind of thing. I, I, you know, connect, I love connections. And so when something connects like that, right. I really enjoy it. No, and it's, it's amazing. What's actually cool about that is also with the um, going back, you know, when we talked about sympathetic magic and, and dolls, that's kind of exactly what they would do is they would create an incredible likeness on something that they worked with. Uh, and the thought was that, you know, the essence would transfer into the material right, that yeah. was created. Um, so that's kind of, you know, derivative of that thought because it's, you know, now we think of it as just being a very thoughtful gift and a thoughtful doll. Um, but it's it's pretty amazing. And did they have to fire it or does it did the clay just hold? I don't know how, how that works with a doll head. Oh, it has to be fired if it's made out of clay, yeah. Okay. But they can do one of two things. They can fire it with a glaze or without a glaze. Right. So. Which is the difference between por- uh, China and there's an unglazed. So when doll heads are made out of porcelain, it's a very similar process, right? Yeah. If they if they glaze it, it's called a China head doll. Or the, if it's white ch- white um, porcelain, it's a Parian. And if it's not glazed, then it's a bisque doll. Got it. What's kind of funny to me is I was, when I was researching this is that doll heads were pretty deadly when you think about it. Because even, you know, I remember the Cabbage Patch doll. Um, the, the heads on those things, I mean, they were like, they were like a solid rock. They were, re- I remember my kid sister would swing it around. I think she hit me once. <laughs> and three days later, I woke up in the hospital. I mean, it was a serious situation. But, you know, and that's just the Cabbage Patch doll. You also have the porcelain dolls. I mean, you know, that's a pretty good weapon. If it was, if, if they made a, a clue, Victorian era clue, you know, doll head would be one of the weapons of murder. Don't you agree? Well, um, you've thought about it, I imagine, once or twice. Not really. I okay. haven't. But uh, I I think most of them would break before they really do too much damage. Most of the porcelain heads are pretty fragile. 
when I was first starting to collect, I was at a show and this woman packed up all her porcelain dolls in a trunk and promptly dropped it. And you could just hear it all breaking. And so I more often than not, I see people having their doll heads or porcelain dolls break rather than being used as weapons, quite frankly. Well, that's good. <laughs> yes. That's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you say porcelain heads are fragile, but I don't know if you know this. The Uh-oh. human heads are fragile, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, it begs the question, why were they made out of those materials? Because the doll, because the doll body is leather or cloth or something like that, very soft. Because you could mold it and create the faces and the um, features of the of the human being, much better than you could in most of the other um, materials. Now, wood you could do too. I have some wooden dolls that I love their faces, mm-hmm. and but cloth is a little bit harder unless you use a mask underneath and then put the cloth over. Um, people who've learned how to do the um, sculpturing, the needle sculpting, can mm-hmm. do incredible cloth faces. But um, I think at the time, it was a much easier way to create not only the beautiful babies and all that, but also character dolls that could cry, be crying or have angry faces. Mm-hmm. So that you could do a more variety with the porcelain than right. you could with a lot of the other materials. I guess so. It was probably a time, t- an era thing mm-hmm. more than a, a murder thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this kind of brings us to toy theaters, which I think it's a really cool concept. And you've kind of taken that here. Um, and you, you kind of have done a great job of, of building a set around some of the dolls that kind of adds to, you know, the doll itself is great, but it loves to have a home to live in, which I think is the mentality behind having dollhouses and miniatures and clothes and everything like that, like shrinking everything down and creating like this little world that you can kind of, you know, you are the god of, you know what I mean, (laughs) in a way, you know, Um, was that ever part of you liking dolls of being able to play God and manipulate them? No, not really. And when I Draconian machinations. When I decided to set this up, what my major concern was that the dolls would be happy here. When we were before we set this up, my husband and I used to go to doll museums all over. And one we went to had just opened, and it was a vast collection. They didn't have time to really work on it right away. And we went in, and they had all the dolls shoulder to shoulder in rows in a case, and they were just standing there stiffly looking at me and yelling, let us out, let us out, <laughs> let us out. I took it for about 15 minutes, and then I told my husband we had to leave, and I said, if I ever have anything like that, they are going to have space to play, the ability to get together and get to know each other, and at night they can do, you know, have parties, whatever they sure. want, but I want them to have a good time. Right. So that's what I've tried to do here is prese- uh, uh, put together some place where they feel comfortable and are happy. And well, you've done an excellent job. It, oh, it shows. You. Now, are you a fan of the Toy Story movies? I like them. Yes. So uh-huh. do you? So you like the idea of them coming around oh. and like wreaking havoc and? Well, not wreaking havoc necessarily. I don't <laughs> want to come to work and have everything in pieces, but <laughs> I believe that down. they should get have the chance to get to know each other and to have a good yeah. time and, and like so wander on. around. Yeah, and when I come in in the morning, when I have people going around or somebody that's fallen over, I always say, well. They were playing last night, and I, I got here so early they didn't get back to their place <laughs> in time. So I have to go and put them back during the daytime. And uh, I don't know. It just sort of makes it me feel friendly to, to the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, and you don't know that it's not true. It could, it could be happening. Yeah. 
Well, now let's talk about some of the, what's kind of interesting is when I was looking at this, the whole idea of licensed dolls. Like today, we're obviously inundated with dolls that have, you know, either existed in movies or existed in, you know, some other type of prop intellectual property. That's a fancy way of saying creative ideas. Um, the first licensed doll was Scarlett O'Hara, and that was kind of the beginning. It was a Gone with the Wind. Um, is that right? You'll give me an incredulous look. Am I right? Did I nail I'm it? I'm just thinking. I, I oh, think okay. you're right. I was thinking back to what I could think of. Okay, I get there scared sometimes. Some, I, there were some other people that might have been, but I'm not sure of the dates. So. Which it's it's kind of interesting how it worked because like they had, you know, you would think that it would have kind of existed before that, but it didn't. Um, now you have quite a collection of movie dolls here. I think. Some of my favorites are you have Psycho, you've got um, <laughs> the the It's a Wonderful Life, which is kind of a fun one, because uh, you've got Clarence and um, can't think of Bill, Bill Bailey. Bill what? Bailey, Bill, Bill Bailey. Bailey, yeah, yeah. Um, and and you also have the birds, which I think is mm -hmm. great next to each other. And my favorite one here is the small these small little miniatures you have right when you walk into the museum, which is all of these old timey. Uh, none of them. They're not all silent film, but a lot of silent film directors. Uh, you've got um, that was the Majestic Studios in L.A. Yeah. Yes. So tell me about that one. That's a great one. Oh, I love that. Uh, this was in a store in Ventura for years and years, a miniature store, and I used to. She used to have it in her window, and I'd go by and. When I went in, I'd always stop and look at it. Then she moved, and she moved it inside. I went in one day about two, three years ago, and I said, oh, I'm so glad you have this. It's one of my favorite things. And she said to me, I just decided today I'm going to take it all apart and sell it piece by piece. Oh, my goodness. And I said no, and the girl at the cash register said no. <laughs> so um, I, I got the whole thing and, and brought it here so that people could go on enjoying it. And then uh, beside it, after the um, part about the um, sound stages, mm -hmm. there's a little piece at the end that's the Culver City Hotel lobby, and that's where the Munchkins stayed when they did the Wizard of Oz, was in the Culver City Hotel. Oh, no kidding. So that's all one piece. And I don't know if you know, but in the one you're talking about, there's the um, Keystone Cops, and mm -hmm. one's just slipped on a banana peel, and then right. there's Charlie Chaplin, and there's... Um, Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard and Harold Lloyd hanging off the clock over mm -hmm. Times Square. And then they end with Laurel and Hardy and the Bathing Beauties. And right. then all the directors are in there with their chairs labeled. And sure. I just I just have loved it ever since <laughs> I first saw it. And you saved it. You were like a hero to well, those little I miniatures. I hope I saved it, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you did. Let's say that you did. Uh, now, let's move on to, we're kind of overshadowing a couple of big things here, but let's get on to some serious stuff here. Let's talk about the doll that everyone knows. Let's talk about Barbie. I imagine okay. that Barbie's got to be a big focus, not necessarily of of your interest, but I imagine people who come in here because now it's kind of ubiquitous with dolls. I mean, obviously it's a fashion doll. It's mainly geared towards little girls, but everyone knows who Barbie is. How much of that is a part of your collection, and how much do people want to see old-timey Barbies? Well, I've got a whole ton of Barbies I don't have out. Um, she's just sort of ubiquitous. She's done so mm -hmm. many things that she can fit into various displays, and I think I've got her sort of throughout the whole um, collection in various ways. But today, she's not as big as she used to be. She, um, people see her and they recognize her from their childhood and play with her, but the younger kids today are more into the American Girl dolls. So mm -hmm. I've tried to put some of those out as well. 
Um, I love, I personally have loved Barbie ever since she came out. And I know a lot of people have been very upset with her, but I think she. Why would they be upset with her? Um, well, the body image she gives the young girls is sometimes What, the perfect good. female form? What's yeah, wrong with well, that? Well, it's not real perfect. <laughs> I think it's a little, a little weird. But, <laughs> but uh, she was very different from the dolls that came before her. And right. I think she started other dolls in other directions and more of the adult dolls and so on. But um, You mean she inspired the adult dolls? like? Well, I think she inspired a lot of them. Um, Sissy was probably the first adult doll. And that was by, um, or the first modern adult doll, I should, the fashion doll by Mount Alexander. And uh, they were the first ones that started the, doing the uh, wardrobes with the doll. Before that, most of the parents would make the wardrobes. They'd buy a doll and make wardrobes for the kids. And so no, no, Barbie... No, I just want to clarify something really quickly. So when you say adult doll, you don't mean the kind that you would go into, you know, with a big hood on and kind of buy behind the counter oh, itself? no, no, no. I'm okay. talking about a, a doll that is not a child or a toddler. I see. Okay. So, but I, didn't know kind of, I didn't know if you were going into racy territory oh. here for a second. I don't know where you were going to take the interview. I was a little surprised <laughs> that was the direction you were going to go in, but I was going to go with it. So you mean the doll itself represents an, an adult. adult. Rather Got than it. a child, yeah. I see. Okay. So I think Barbie did a lot of that. I think Sissy was a predecessor, sort of. Cause I, th I would think and Barbie actually probably inspired both sides of that adult <laughs> of that adult question. Well, <laughs> considering her predecessor, the <laughs> German built Lily, who was very much of a sex object. Wait, who was that? The German doll that that inspired Barbie was was named Lily. Lily. Built a B I L D. Built Lily. I. And uh, she was um, almost like Barbie, but she had a, a more exotic face paint mm. to her. But she had quite the sexy body sure, also. Sure, sure. Uh, so that was the precursor to Barbie. Um, so Barbie comes out, and I mean, but they have tons of Barbies now. I mean, you can have... Now, now let's talk... I, th I feel like you want to take this down a feminist path, path, so let's do it. Because Barbie's not as popular now as she was. Because I think before it was kind of... Um, you know, I don't even know if she, when she first came out, if she, you know, if, I don't know if she had a job, if she, you know, I don't know what her, you know, aspirations were as a female. I don't know where the feminist movement was. But now that I see, I've walked past uh, one of the dolls you have. It's called Smarties, and it's a female attorney. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, I remember watching a Simpsons episode where their Barbie equivalent, um, you know, it, it takes a huge dip in popularity when they put out a doll that has an attorney, uh, which, is <laughs> <laughs> which is horrible, but incredibly amusing. So what do you think Barbie has kind of played in that kind of role as far as, you know, the way women look to, uh, for a inspiration? Well, surprisingly, I think she has done a lot. She has been in, I think she's had every occupation that's available to, to girls. She can't hold down a job. That's horrible to well, teach but she, children. She, no, she's trying everything, and she brings different skills to each one, I think. What a and twist uh, you did there. Nice uh, pivot. I like that. That was well done. <laughs> mm -hmm. But there is one that is sort of funny. Um, they came out with a doll that, of Barbie that said, I hate math. And, of course, this became a real <laughs> terrible thing. So then later they came out with one that was an astronaut. And so on the astronaut, it was a re reproduction of the original astronaut. But it came with a little sign by her head that says, I love math or something like that. But, you know, so it was a reaction to the original sure. one that said, I hate math. But or yes, I am. I can do rocket science or something like right. that. Right, algebra is fun. Yeah, yeah. So well, I'll tell you. In the Simpsons episode, they had. They <laughs> I think they were making fun of that because they said thinking gives you wrinkles, which I thought was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> 
which is very funny for oh. Adele to say. Well, I haven't noticed that Barbie's gotten many wrinkles in over 50 years she's no, been she's around. She still looks like she's about 20. A lot of work done. She looks great. <laughs> uh, so, so now, do you have any good, st- what are your favorite pieces in your collection? Like, what are the ones that really stand out to you and for what reasons? Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, there was uh, a teddy bear, Little Red Riding Hood that I have, and I saw this in San Diego at a show, and I said to the artist, I'd like to purchase it, and he says, you can't. I'm taking it to a show in New York, and it has to go there. So I turned to my husband, and I said, tickets, New York, we're going. (laughs) And so I went to the show and bought that piece at the show. So that was one of my favorite pieces. Wait, but hold on. Why didn't he just sell it to you on the spot? Because he'd already um, agreed to take it to New York, and it had been given special status as a surprise. The person putting on the show in New York had gotten it as a cover picture on one of the teddy bear magazines, all this kind of thing. So he he had made the commitment and couldn't. But I loved that piece. And I got to the show, and they were supposed to put, they had a little thing, if you wanted to buy it, you turned it over, put your name, and said sold. I got there, and they didn't have that little thing out there <laughs> to do this. I threw my arms around, and I said to my husband, you run and find the person in charge. I'm hanging on to this until wow. you get back. That's I just intense. loved it so much, yeah. Wow. And then another one, of course, is the Don Quixote we mentioned before. Wait, hold I on a second. Wait, wait. so when, when you did this, when you grabbed the bear, was your husband on board, or was he looking for a mental health professional to make sure that you weren't? No, he was on board. Oh, he was? He was, yeah. Oh, he this ran guy's... really fast. Really? Oh, he's helped me so much. I don't know if you ever saw the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka in there. Oh, yeah. But we went to a show once, and it was across the room, and I just said, go, and he went, Got Holy it for cow. Me. Yeah. Oh, he's really good. He's done so much for me. I mean, I, well, first of all, to let me do this. And then he's helped in so many ways. So Holy yeah, cow. He's, he's really supportive. And it's wonderful to have a supportive husband. <laughs> Just wonderful. I can imagine. Well, something yeah. is on your payroll, kind of. I mean, you say, hey, you need, you need muscle. He's there. I mean, you need security. Um, you know, he's doing damage control, I'm assuming, at some point. Like, this guy is doing it all. Mm-hmm. He does. That's pretty he's incredible. really helpful. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so tell me more. So you were saying the... Um, the Don Quixote yes. was another one. It was funny because that was in a gallery, and I was helping set up the gallery, and the, the artist's husband came in and put it on a, on a pedestal and said, is this a good place for this? And I looked at this piece, and I thought, I want that. So I said, well, why don't you put it over here in a corner where it would look <laughs> really good, you know? Yeah. And then as soon as, my, as they opened up, I told my husband to run and buy it. So it was a little... A little you know. That was yeah, that was draconian but the way you did yeah, that. You manipulated I, I, the situation. I'm glad I did because I that's one of my very favorite pieces. I just love that. But there's really so many. I mean, if I started yeah. through, I'd probably say oh, that one and that one and that one. I love the Martha Leeds Indian bears right uh-huh. around the corner here, and uh, she's made twelve bears for the Louvre collection, which oh, wow. I think is incredible. But I used to go to India. We used to go to India Market for a number of years, and we'd always pick up some of her bears, and they're so wonderful. And when I'm walking through, oh, and Elias, the the Bally Strider, he's a big mm-hmm. giant, and and that's made by a friend of ours in Ohio, Kevin Bunton. I love that. And then of course there's Mark Dennis, is one of the I'm one of my favorite doll artists, and he did an Ebenezer Scrooge and Marley's Ghost in there. Mm, that, that's a good one. That's really wonderful. Mar- he, he 
balances things in such a way. So it looks like Marley's ghost is just floating on, and it's balanced on Ebenezer's arm. And, and the, the faces and the workmanship are just exquisite. I just love them. And uh, so if it, walking through, I'd probably be pointing out things all over the place that I sure. love. It's hard. A lot of these it's like pictures. with children. How can you say that's your favorite child or yeah, not? Yeah, but you, you know? always have one. Yeah. You always have one. I mean, even the best mothers, they know which ones they like, which kids well, they've given up I used on. to know which ones I'd grab if there was a fire, but it's getting harder <laughs> and harder now to know. I'd oh, you mean kids or dolls? The dolls. Oh, okay. Or, yeah. I imagine parents are the same way. You only have two arms. you got to grab. you got more than two kids. you got to pick, right? It's a hard decision. Sophie's choice. Uh, you know, it was kind of surprising talking to you. I got to tell you, you're kind of, you know, you look like a sweet lady, but you've got some some devious little maneuvers to get the little pieces oh, that you want. I like oh, that. That's oh. the mark of success. I like oh, it very much. Thank you. I'm very impressed. <laughs> surprise. I'm surprised. Well, I try impressed. not to do that too often. You got it. Well, w it's in your back pocket. You're capable of it, which is what <laughs> makes you scary. But you only do it when you need to, which makes you a hero. Uh, now, let, let's talk about, before we get too far along, I want to talk about the history of teddy bears because I think it's really interesting, and they're kind of like a subset of regular dolls. So you want to run this down? to How do we get the name teddy bear? Where do they come from, these things, and why are they so popular? I think they're a wonderful uh, child's toy because they're cuddly, and, and you can hug them, and you can tell them anything, and they don't talk back, and they keep your secrets. That's true. But... Um, Everyone says, of course, they started in 1902 when Teddy Roosevelt had been hunting down in the South and refused to shoot a cub, and it right. appeared as a Clifford Berryman cartoon in the in the in the newspaper. Originally called Teddy's Bear. That's right. And mm. then Mictum in New York decided to make some bears, and there's a story that he wrote to Roosevelt and asked permission to mm -hmm. call it a Teddy Bear, and supposedly Roosevelt wrote back and said yes. These letters have never been found, but that's the story. And uh, so. And he started, just because I want to come back to this, which is really interesting. He started a company called the Ideal Novelty and Toy Company. Yeah, Mictum did. Yeah. yeah, which became one of the biggest toy companies. We'll it get did. back to it. Lots of popular dolls, did the Rubik's Cube, all that stuff. So mm -hmm. the teddy bear, it financed it started, a lot of this yeah, stuff. started out very. The whole toy movement, if you want to say. Anyway, well, continue. But I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just got excited. Oh, <laughs> no, that's okay. I was just. Um, I think, in a way, the teddy bear world is lucky. Uh, the doll world has been so around for so long, and it's gotten so that people are focused on certain kinds of dolls to collect or enjoy. And mm -hmm. a lot of the focus over the years went to the antique dolls and mm -hmm. the vintage dolls. The teddy bear just started in 1902. That's just a little over 100 years. And the artist teddy bear artist movement started around the 1950s with Beverly Port. But that meant that there was only about 50 years that they were making teddy bears commercially, mostly. Mm -hmm. And a right. lot of them were made at home, too, just like rag dolls were. Sure. But I think there have been more acceptance by the public of purchasing artist teddy bears because there isn't this quite so much of a emphasis on the antique bears, with the exception mm. of Stife bears, of course. But Right. But um, I think it's been easier for the teddy bear artists to be accepted and to be appreciated, whereas t uh, doll artists are fighting a whole history of antique dolls and vintage dolls and collectible dolls, and then they're more recent. And so it, it, there's more of a history there that sort of um, siphons people off from the art artist dolls. 
But I think teddy bears are wonderful. They're so, the, the expressions on their faces can be so appealing and there's so many ways you can ma make different teddy bears and uh, And they're adorable, let's not dressing forget. Them. Yeah. There was a time when I first started collecting and I was told that the people on the East Coast liked bears that were not dressed. They had to look like real bears and they could not wear clothing. While people on the West Coast loved bears that were dressed and had characters and all this kind of thing. I'm not sure I ever believed that because I always found both in both sides, but um, I think I prefer the ones that have clothing and, and are given some kind of a character or whatever. I, to me, they're more appealing. So like anthropomorphized, you like having yeah. with the outfits and everything. But there are some really beautiful um, bears being made by artists that do just bears without dressing them or giving them that. Um, so, well, let's talk about stife bears really quickly before, because those. So this is kind of an interesting fact where stife bears were kind of created in Germany concurrently with the American teddy bear. Um, there wasn't, in, I mean, they weren't. It wasn't like one idea came because the two people talked. There were two the things that appeared the exact same thing at the exact same time. Um, how amazing is that in this world? Well, it was pretty amazing, and uh, for many years there was a sort of an ongoing battle over who got the teddy bear. But I think in 2002 they decided that they were started simultaneously and finally decided that was going to be the story. But that's like a hundred years. That's a hundred years of battling. Yeah, but I think we won a little bit because they still call them teddy bears. Oh! In Germany. <laughs> <laughs> Are they called something else in Germany? Are they called... Oh, well, teddy bar, bar instead of bear. It's but German. still teddy. But they're still teddy bar. Still teddy yeah. Roosevelt. But... Um, America won, Germany. There's been a few stories. There was a, a woman who wrote a book about her grandfather being a salesman for a company and went over to um, Germany and ordered some stife, one of the first stife bear orders, and supposedly he may have helped call them teddy bears. So there are some books out there that sort of overlap the two. But, sure. Um, but stife is certainly a very early and very good I mean, they made beautiful bears with mohair and uh, mm -hmm. and so on, and, and other other animals as well, of course. Well, let's go back really quickly to the the ideal novelty and toy company founded by Morris Mitchum. I just want to just talk about some of the things that he invented because, as far as dolls go, he created the Betsy Wetsy, which was a a doll that basically you would feed and it would pee its pants. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> how innovative was this at the time? Well, I think very much because. Um, most of the dolls before before the um, commercial ones like of that type, the the um, bisque dolls and so on, they did some things. I think there was a, a phonograph record one that Edison did, so it would talk. A phone, so, yeah, but a phonograph inside the doll. Yeah, and there there were some That's that clunky. said "Mama" and some that you know, but but this real interactive thing was was very new. And there was Betsy Wetsy and. Uh, Tiny Tears did a lot of that. He'd mm -hmm. get the tears and so on. And uh, this was a whole new direction of dolls, too, getting more and more realistic. And Betsy Wetsy kind of started it, right? I think so, yeah. Because they also had that same company, had uh, Chrissy and Tressy, who basically their hair grew, which was kind of an innovation. But yeah, I guess mimicking the things that human beings do in a doll became that. The Betsy Wetsy kind of started that trend. Because mm -hmm. I remember even as a kid watching. You know, you'd have a doll, and even the eye, you know the eyes open up, and it would go forward or backwards, or 
um, you know, having to feed it a certain type of food and then you have to change its diaper, which just seems ridiculous. Like of all the things you're going to mimic, why are you mimicking, <laughs> you know, the excretion of, of human waste? That seems well, like... Uh, I must admit, baby dolls were not my favorite. My favorite. Uh, they are for a lot of people, but I sort of liked other kinds of dolls. I liked old-fashioned dolls and... and uh, more adult dolls as a child even and uh, so baby dolls were not high not on thing. my list okay but, um, I mean that's fair I mean but it is interesting that the person who created the teddy bear kind of had all these innovations in dolls um, now let's yeah. talk about now, this is something very important I want to get to this before we finish this interview uh, I have always grown up being almost deathly afraid of certain types of dolls let's talk about the scary dolls that are in the world and I'm going to start by asking you a question do you have any current? Do you have any haunted dolls that you have, or ones that? Uh, I wish I did. I. You wish I, you did. I, like I wish that as I an did. Answer. I have a fr- uh, an acquaintance who is a, me- a medium kind of person, and he claims I have some ghosts here in the museum, but I've never been able to track them down. But I think it would be a great story to bring people in. I think people love to have things like ghosts and hauntings and of things course. as part of it. So I, if I had a ghost doll, I would be delighted. Really? And I, I am not the kind of person who thinks that this is going to be any way harmful. I feel sorry if the person is unhappy, but you know, it could be a happy ghost for all I know. Maybe you don't it's know. somebody who really wants to stay here and enjoy company of my other dolls. And that's possible. So that's fine with me. So you have ghostly activity in the in the museum? Have you ever seen anything? No, I haven't. Any not dolls really. been animated? Sorry, no. <laughs> I wish I could. I'm as I say. I think it would be exciting and fun. I I yeah. have no problem with that at all. But unfortunately, I guess because I would enjoy it so much, they decide to go somewhere else and haunt someone else. <laughs> Doesn't want it. <laughs> do, do you know about like Robert the Talking Doll in Key West? Have you heard of um, or Annabelle the Raggedy Ann doll that's haunted? Have you heard about any of these? Not really. Um, They're very interesting stories. Like Robert the Talking Doll has a very long and sordid history. Um, he's a he's a, on display in Key West. His name is Robert, and yeah, people are very deathly afraid of him. Grown men are afraid of, of oh. even like interacting with the doll. And then Annabelle, the movie that The Conjuring's based on, is a Raggedy Ann doll that was famously held by the uh, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, and that's wow. another haunted doll that is pretty famous. I would love to meet them. I think you the should. The dolls, I mean. Right, yeah. <laughs> so Maybe na- they just need to come here and be happy. I think that's it. You have quite an atmosphere here. I, th- I don't know what a haunted doll would do. I don't know what a cursed doll would do inside of your walls here. It'd be very mm-hmm. different. I think, it'd be, I think they'd be happier here. Uh, now, let's talk about... So, one of the, do you know about the Uncanny Valley? Have you heard of that? It's, a, it's, a, it's just really interesting. It kind of goes along with this whole haunted doll thing. Where it's, there, there was this uh, roboticist named uh, Mashihiro uh, Mori. And so he postulated that, specifically with robotics, this is kind of interesting, that as robots get human characteristics, right? So for example, Betsy Wetsy is a perfect example. You slowly give them characteristics, but it's clearly a doll. We tend to emphasize the human characteristics as being adorable and endearing. But as those things gain more and more human resemblance, okay, and you start getting into things that almost are impossible to, to distinguish from being a human being, high advanced robots, um, you know, a, a corpse is on this list too, things that have human-like characteristics but are, not, are no longer alive or no longer human, 
because they're so human-like, we tend to forget the human char characteristics and emphasize the non-human characteristics. And so those things become very, e very eerie and kind of off-putting, um, which is kind of interesting because we keep striving as dolls to create more and more lifelike dolls. But at some point, as human beings, it becomes strange and offsetting and off-putting to us. Isn't that kind of interesting? That is interesting. It's called the Uncanny Valley. Hmm. I just thought you'd find that interesting. But it's in, did, what was the movie that Robert Williams was in where he was a, a robot and he lived with a family and over time he became more and more human? Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Because yeah. that's sort of the reverse, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Or like Pinocchio. I mean, we've yeah, we've kind of true. had these you know these stories where things are not lifelike and then they become human at the end. Mm -hmm. um, but there's you know with Pinocchio, Pinocchio is always cute the whole time, and then except when he gets bigger. Then we yeah exactly. <laughs> but we never see the point where it's like Pinocchio is so creepily human, but he's not flesh and blood yet that we're like oh we need to push Pinocchio away because God knows what he's capable of. You know, we kind of do that with, with, with dummies, like the ventriloquist dummies. You know, when they talk and they have such a personality, then they, that's why people get so scared of them when they get put down, because in the hands of a ventriloquist, you know, they're very, you know, they well, seem like yeah. human. They seem like they're alive. I must admit there have been a lot of stories about ventriloquists. Well, I guess Chucky is one, isn't it? Yeah, th that's it? what uh, Annabelle's based on, Chucky. Yeah, and uh, I feel sorry for the ventriloquist dummies. I, they're just doing a job, but... Um, they get a bad rap, you know what do, I mean? They do. Do you have um, any here in the... Yeah, I've got some. I've got uh, about four in there. I've got two Charlie McCarthy's and a Jerry Mahoney and a, an unknown guy that just wandered in one day, and I don't know who he is, but he's in there with them. Oh, wow. And uh, so I, they, they've never been any problem for me yet. Well, that's good. I think, yeah. you know, I think Talking Tina may have been one of the first ones that kind of did them all in. The Twilight Zone episode where oh. Talking Tina... Have you seen that episode? Not recently. No. Oh, it's so good. Well, it starts out by saying, like, I'm talking Tina, and I love you. And then throughout the episode, the dad wants to throw it out or whatever. And he says, I'm talking Tina, and I'm going to kill you by the end of the episode. It's very <laughs> creepy, yeah. And a lot of weird things ha start happening. People, you know, when the body count starts to get to a certain yeah. point, that's when people start to get suspicious of the doll. Well, you know there are I mean? a lot of doll books, fiction books about dolls that are really terrible yeah. and influence children to do bad things and to become more like the doll and so on. So there's a quite a, a genre of, of doll horror books. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you can kind of go either way with it because you know everyone, everyone loves their doll so much they want it to come to life. But when it comes to life, they can't guarantee its personality, right? right. And so the personality, he can be finally, finally I'm alive, I'm gonna ditch this kid so they push him out of a window. Or hey, I'm a good doll and I wanna go and you know hang out with you like Pinocchio. Or they're you don't know. annoying. Some of them say, okay, yeah. <laughs> you brought me to life, now you have to feed me, you have to clothe me, you have to do this, you have to amuse me, you have to, I mean, there have been some think stories about, that. about very, very annoying dolls too. Yeah, I don't know what would be worse to have an evil doll, uh, which you can just kind of let go and like, you know, unleash on someone else, or an annoying doll that's always around you, like that you have to be Complaining bothered and, with. Yeah, and telling you what you have to do and wanting to go to school with you and wanting uh, all kinds of things. That I mean, sounds awful. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, we have, I think we've hit the entire gamut of dolls here with the, in this conversation. I'm pretty impressed with the types of dolls, not only that we've discussed, but that you have here at this incredible place. Oh, thank you. How can people find you if they want to check out everything we're talking about? Well, they can find me online. I've got okay. a website, uh, quinlanmuseum.com. And if they come to Santa Barbara, I'm here. I'm open Friday, Saturday, Sundays, and Mondays. 
from 11 to 5. And what is the full name of your museum in case people <laughs> want to type it in? Okay. It's pretty long. All right. Susan Quinlan, Doll and Teddy Bear Museum and Library. But if you usually, if you just do Quinlan Museum, it usually comes up. Or if you do Santa Barbara Doll Museum, it'll come up. So the Susan Quin Quinlan, I'm going to make sure I get this right, is Doll and Teddy Bear Museum and Library. That's right. I love that. I love that you put your name in the title. It's very Stephen Colbert-ish of you. Oh. It's something I would totally do. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't just say Doll and Teddy Bear Museum. because You took full credit for it. I like oh, that. Well, I that, that. my husband insisted. I was going to put his name there, too. And he, and he said, said no. no. He really? Said, yeah. He just wants to be the guy behind the scenes That's making right. it work, being the informed. See, if he's on the museum, then he can't go and sneak into these conventions and stuff and, you know, do your dirty work. He, he does. We put on a convention in April, and he does all the work on it. It's, it's really incredible. What is this? The, oh, this is the, oh, I forgot to hit the, you, you guys put on, like, the teddy bear and doll uh, well, convention. Well, we put on a convention for doll and teddy bear artists And only. it's in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. And we don't let in dealers who do antique dolls or you know it has to be an artist who makes their own work so you ever had any dealers try to sneak in oh you have to bounce well, them out and, of there and it's getting to be a very hard line to draw especially like with bjd ball drained dolls yeah because it's hard not to have them get some of the uh, parts done commercially so it's hard sure. for us to know whether they've done it all or if they've been produced commercially so there's there's some very gray areas that are coming up but we try very hard to have dolls and bears that are completely made by the artist okay rather than commercially that's good i mean that's very supportive and it's a very popular convention and you guys do it all by yourself mm -hmm. very impressive and that's in philadelphia what's the name of it so people want to check it out um the uh, doll and teddy bear artist convention <laughs> <laughs> I want to go and get the <laughs> brochure. <laughs> Donald Teddy yeah. Bear. I want to make sure I uh, this correctly. Donald Teddy uh, Bear Artist Convention. Well, I think actually it's Artist Doll and Teddy Bear Convention. Is Artist it? Doll and Teddy Bear Convention. We're, yeah. we're putting on a show on Saturday for Santa Barbara Doll Club, and so I'm, my mind's all sort of... Is that called the Santa Barbara Doll Club meeting? Or was that... <laughs> Santa Barbara Doll Club annual <laughs> show and sale <laughs> we got to work on your naming we got to work oh, on I your know, we got to get I some know. creative in here oh. man that's okay I, I do like the name of your museum though but the other yeah. stuff could use some work we'll, we'll brainstorm <laughs> we'll brainstorm after the show uh susan thank you so much for being on the program today it's been an absolute pleasure oh it's been fun <laughs> thank you uh, and i want to thank everyone for listening have a good night fascinating nouns is a glenco production and is hosted and produced by me daniel j glenn the show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Go to fascinatingnouns.com to listen to our entire archive section where you'll find links to every episode. You can also find all of our social media at the bottom of the page. You'll see links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. Now, this particular episode has tons of pictures you'll see on Pinterest. we got all kinds of incredible shots of the various teddy bears and dolls. And we even have a rare Bob Baker Pinocchio. Susan Quinlan has one of the Bob Baker marionettes. That's a callback to our previous episode about the Bob Baker Theater. Check that one out. You can find it in the archive section. And also on the page, you will see 
a newsletter that you can subscribe to, which will tell you about guests, upcoming projects, and give you little known facts about some of the new people that we have on the show. You can also subscribe to the show itself so you'll never miss an episode. You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play. And of course, Daniel Jake Lynn has links to this project as well as my other projects. Check everything out there. And again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.